everyone. This is Dr. Cheryl Selman, and welcome to What Women Must Know. Thanks for joining me because I have another really fantastic conversation in store for you today. If you've been listening to the show, you know that this show is all about empowering you with truthful information, as I like to call it, so you can make informed decisions for your health and well-being. And uh, I'm just a big fan of empowering people with a range of resources and knowledge and education so you can have this huge, um, uh, you know, it's like a big pot of possibilities that could really support you in your journey, your health journey, can support your family and your community. So it's just a pleasure to have you with me today, listening and learning. If you would like to get the archives for the show, then you can do that in two different ways. You can go to my Facebook page and like me there, which is What Women Must Know. Or you can go to my website, which is drcherylselman.com, and that's dr, drcherylselman.com. And often there, and, and I can just send all these fantastic conversations out to you right into your inbox. So, Whichever way you go, I hope you'll be joining my community and listening on a regular basis. It's been such a pleasure to do this show over the many, many years. I think it's actually about 20 years that I have been the host of What Women Must Know on Progressive Radio Network. And through those years, it's just been an amazing opportunity to have great conversations like the one we're going to have today. So I really invite you to join me on a regular basis. Okay, well, let's just jump in because we have another very, I, I think, very profound conversation in store for you. And I'm going to be talking with Dina Felici, and we're going to be listening to Flowers for Emotional Healing. And a little bit about Dina. She is a healer, author, educator, certified health and wellness coach, Bach Foundation registered practitioner, and certified hypnotherapist. Dina suffered for years with the depleting after effects of childhood trauma until she learned how to tune into her inner voice and realize her highest potential through a dialogue with flower energy. She left behind an entertaining career and a lifetime of chronic pain, and now she's passionate about guiding others to personal empowerment by understanding how different flowers heal us. So you're in for such an inspiring conversation, I have to say, such a treat. And it's my pleasure to welcome Dina Salisi to What Women Must Know. Dina, great having you here. Thanks for being with us today. Oh, thank you, Cheryl, for hosting and for doing all of the good work you've been doing for decades now. It's really all of it is so important. Well, thank you. It's just been such a blessing to be able to have this vehicle. I have to say the most favorite thing in the world is having conversations with people like you. So the fact that I can do that on a weekly basis is just, as a friend of mine says, heaven on a stick. (laughs) Yeah. It's great. Um, You know, I'd like us to start this conversation by having you share your journey because it seems that it's been quite a journey of healing for you. So tell us a bit about what, you know, what, what was your early experiences that 
set up that childhood trauma experience that led you on your healing journey? Yeah, thanks for asking that. Um, you know, it, it has been quite a journey, and it's really difficult to pinpoint like an exact time or an exact moment that I kind of took up the call of self-healing. Um, I do feel like as a child, I was always really sensitive to energy. And, um, you know, I always was a creative child. Like, um, it's funny because this, this work that I've created now, the listening to flowers revolves around positive affirmation. And I remember as a small child, even, um, putting together like little rhymes in my head for self-soothing. And, um, you know, so it kind of evolved from there, but it was a, it was a pretty rocky road. Um, I suffered childhood sexual abuse at a very early age. And, um, then I lost my father. My father died when I was about 10 and was being raised by just my mom who fell into a deep depression. And I really witnessed her, um, you know, use, um, Prozac at the time. I believe it was Prozac back then. Um, and it really didn't get her very far. You know, I, I really, I felt like at the age of 10 when I lost my dad and my mom fell into this way that I, I kind of lost both parents. And from that time on, I, I felt like, um, you know, I, I took a lot of responsibility for myself at too early of an age. And, um, you know, as a teenager, I was somewhat reckless and, then when I graduated high school, um, I became a hairstylist right out of high school. And working, having a job, having a career really gave me a sense of purpose in my life. And I remember really wanting to change because I knew that I could take care of myself and, um, you know, I wanted to heal. I didn't want to use drugs. I didn't want to be that party girl. I didn't want to beat myself up. And uh, one night, we were in a metaphysical bookstore in Greenwich Village, and I found two books in the same night. And one of them was Creative Visualization by Shakti Gawain, and it's all about the power mm -hmm. of positive thinking. And I was about 18, and uh, I remember I read the book, and I was like, oh, so if you can change the way you think, you can kind of change your life. And I, start, I started putting it into practice, and I was amazed that I was really beginning to, to evolve in this um, sort of positive mindset way. And then the other book I found that very same night was Heal Thyself by Dr. Edward Bach, who's the founder of Flower Therapy. And again, I was like, oh, so you could use um, the energy of flowers to sort of um, heal emotional trauma. And what, what did that look like? So that was um, back in the late 80s, so it was, it was quite some time ago. And my journey has continued and evolved throughout time. And it wasn't until about seven years ago when the production company that my husband and I were, were involved in sort of collapsed. It, it wasn't um, feasible to run it anymore. And I fell into a deep depression, and I was kind of called back to flower therapy. I was like, Oh yeah, I remember how this system um, really has helped me in the past. And so I decided that I was going to go back to my first love of the healing arts and, you know, turn it into a profession. And 
you know, not really to earn money as much as it was for me. What was more important for me at that time was to really earn a stronger sense of identity. You know, who am I and how can I heal myself and really guide others in healing themselves? So, yeah, that was sort of the natural progression for me. Yeah, that's so interesting that these messages through the vehicle of a book <laughs> shows yeah. up. Um, you know, that's such a, um, it's such a, you know, a, a metaphysical moment in one's life, right? Because yeah. it's like messages arrived and uh, you, know, you, you, you could have picked up any book in a bookstore back then. There were many books to choose from, <laughs> but that's right. how we get guided to certain ones that we don't even know we are actually being guided to that can have such an impact on our lives. I, I certainly have found that to be true. And when you look back, that, you know, picking up uh, the Bob Flower book back many decades ago has really been a profound process and a profound healing tool and destiny for your life. I, that's quite amazing, yeah. isn't it, when you think about it? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, um, so, so, working with those remedies did obviously they worked for you. <laughs> Let's talk about that right. a little bit. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. Um, the remedies. Yeah. 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 I guess I'm asking you to share a little bit more about what happened and what what you used and what was your experience. Yeah. So, well, okay, so it's interesting. So the first rule in flower therapy is to treat the person, not the disease, which is completely the opposite of, of, you know, mainstream medicine, right? You look at the illness and you usually prescribe a medication that will cure it. Well, in flower therapy, it's quite different. What is being asked and what was being asked of me was to look within to really reflect on what the deep challenges are and then to sort of transform them with the healing light of the flowers. So in the box system, there's 38 flowers plus rescue remedy, which is I think the most popular famous one is rescue remedy because it's a combination formula and it's sold pretty much everywhere. But the 38 individual flowers, they each correlate to a different emotional challenge. And even within those 38 flowers, there's seven categories that Bach put all of the emotional challenges into. So, um, you know, when I was working with myself, um, you know, and for years it was just, it was just self-study and self-prescribing. And honestly, that was the system, the way it was meant to be by Dr. Bach. It's a self-healing method. It's not, I mean, even though I'm a flower therapy practitioner and people come to me, it's not the same as, like, say, talk therapy where you go to the expert and you could be in therapy for years, right? With flower essence therapy, it's more likely that you'll find a practitioner and they guide you eventually in learning how to use the flowers yourself. Well, I kind of taught myself, and then it wasn't until many years later that I went through the Bach program. But when I was doing self-healing work, I just used the book. And the thing I love about Dr. Bach's descriptions is they're very brief and succinct. So it's not meant to be like, um, like confusing. It's meant to be very simple. 
And so, for instance, like the very first category that he rolls out in the book is the fear category, which we can all completely relate to the emotional challenge of fear. And then within that category, there's five flowers, and each of them relates to a different way that people, you know, connect with fear, with the energy of fear. So for me, I was an incredibly fearful child. I was timid. I was shy. I was afraid of everything, afraid of using my voice, afraid of strangers, um, afraid of school, just everything. And so the flower remedy for that is mimulus. And um, mimulus is the flower for any fear that can be named. So um, that was really my introduction flower. That was my introductory flower. So um, I got a bottle of mimulus remedy, and I took it. And the way you take the remedies is you take two drops of a single remedy about four times a day for several weeks. And what ends up happening, it's not that, like, fear completely goes away, and now, you know, I'm a brave person and I'll never have fear again. But what ends up happening is deeper layers within ourselves begin to open up. And what happened for me was I began to touch the essence of fear within myself and really sort of understand, well, first of all, I began to understand where the fear was coming from. And it was coming from a place of childhood trauma that I really wasn't connected with before. I used the flower. So in that way, the flower was really helping me to connect with my childhood trauma and the fear that came about from it. And then what ends up happening is the layers start opening up. So over the course of about, um, I don't know, for me, it was probably a few months of using just this single remedy, I would notice that I would begin to feel more brave. And for me, what that meant was um, really not being afraid to use my voice, you know, like not being afraid to speak up. Like even as an adult, I remember being in like workshops or classes and really just feeling like choked up, like I couldn't say what it was I wanted to say for fear of being wrong, for fear of being made fun of. And that's what I began to notice right away was, wait a minute, my my views are important and I don't have to be afraid. And so I would begin to speak up more. And I mean, so much so that look at where I am today. I mean, I'm an author and a speaker and a teacher. And I really believe that I wouldn't be where I am today if I didn't have this transformational view through this energy of the mimulus flower. Uh, that's so interesting. So, so um, if, if you work with the flowers, obviously there, it's, it's very subtle, I would imagine. I mean, the changes are subtle. Um, it's paying attention. It's being patient. I also would imagine it's important if you're taking a flower. So you stay with it, and then you yeah. um, become aware. It's like, the, you know, having more insight into oneself as you see the subtle transformation going on. Is, is that your experience with people, generally speaking? Yes, definitely. And, um, you know, like I like to tell people at the beginning of working with me or like I like to teach students that healing is a lifelong process, right? I mean, you have this radio show, so you know that you're rolling out all these different modalities so that people can continue their healing process. It's never about getting to a finish line and being all perfect. I mean, we're human beings. We live on planet Earth. There's trauma all around us. There's pain that we suffer. And 
that's always going to be, you know, because we're, we're in a human body. So it's not about trying to get rid of the pain. So that's like, that's the main thing, trouble that I see with say mainstream medicine. And that's a lot of um, times why people seek me out is because they could be in therapy for years or they could be going to doctors um, dealing with physical limitations and they're not getting where they want to be. And so, um, you know, the first thing I teach them is that healing is a lifelong process, but also that the foundation of the healing is all about self-awareness. So the more self-awareness we can create, the, the more um, freedom from suffering we're going to experience. So that means, you know, we're always going to have challenges that kind of come to us. But then how do we, how do we work with the challenges? So that's, this is like what I feel like listening to flowers is all about. It's like flowers are like the archetype that we're using to relate to the challenges. Um, you know, I like to point to say astrology, for instance, which is not at all scientifically proven, yet all over the world, everybody understands what astrology means, like what the 12 archetypes of the astrological figures mean, whether you believe it or not. You know, it's an acceptable practice. And through these archetypes, we see ourselves in, in specific ways, but then we can begin to transform our limiting beliefs and really accept, um, you know, affirmative sources. So it really is like a whole process of self-awareness that, you know, it, it's funny when I teach like the Bach, um, foundations class, which is an eight-week class, by the end of the course, everybody so, says, it's not really so much about the flowers as it is about me understanding myself better. And then what a beautiful process that I get to go toward flower energy to use for healing. And isn't that what healing really is, getting to know oneself better? Exactly. So let's, let's talk about Bach. Dr. Bach, let's talk about the story, his story, um, who he was, and how he created this amazing system, and and then we can get into what what is flower healing, what is yeah. it about these remedies that can be so profound in transformation. Yeah, yeah. Well, back in 1930, he was a pretty radical guy. I mean, he was um, a physician. He was a surgeon. Um, you know, he had a really thriving practice in London. He was highly respected. <clears throat> he wrote books. He taught. He gave lectures. Um, he had a burgeoning practice. And I think what started to change him was that, well, first of all, he was very sensitive. But what he was recognizing was that, um, you know, he was um, seeing patients and he was um, – you know, every patient he saw sort of had a different emotional perspective on their physical limitations. And so he began to notice that every patient, they could, two different people could come in with the exact same illness, but they would respond differently to it. And so um, he was really reflecting on that and recognizing that healing begins in the mind. And so he was um, fascinated by this. And first of all, he was listening to his clients, his patients, which was really unusual for a doctor to do at that time and still. And so um, he actually gave up. Yeah, he gave up his practice. He was, you know, a wealthy man. He gave up his practice. 
and he went into nature to seek a simpler method. And um, it's interesting because he actually burned all of his notes um, before he died. And so we don't really know specifically his exact process, but what we do know, I mean, there were other people who witnessed what he was doing. And what we do know is that he went into nature and what he did as, um, as, a, as an intuitive, he went and he connected with different flowers that were growing on the Welsh highlands and uh, he would relate different emotional challenges and then he would go and sit with the flower energy and see what was transforming. And there were many flowers he worked with that he didn't think were um, useful for the emotional challenges he was working with. So I guess he designed the system first, right? Like he looked at these 38 emotional challenges and then he sought out the natural energy that would heal him. And so he did this. And then what he did is he actually brought the remedies back to London and used them on patients, and they worked. And so it was really kind of amazing. But at the time, it was all the buzz. Like, you know, patients were lining up to see him, and he was, you know, making a name for himself. And actually, the um, the Medical Association of England actually threatened to take his license away because, um, you know, he was kind of going against the grain, which, by the way, they never did. They threatened to do it, and he said, go on, take it away from me. I'm, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And they never did revoke his license. But, um, you know, he sort of went down in history as a radical as a radical doctor, and um, the method is still being used today nearly 100 years later, and um, people say that it works. You know, I, I can't, you know, we can't um, say that there's been scientific study around it simply because I feel like it's really difficult for science to look at energy medicine, and, um, you know, I think that that is changing. I do think that there are other ways and other scientists that are sort of stepping up and looking at you know, how we look at the quantum physics. And in this regard, we're talking about the quantum energy of flowers, right? Well, I find um, the whole story so fascinating. And uh, first of all, you know, you can only imagine what the experience was that Dr. Bach had. This, you know, you know he had to be tuning in on some other level and communicating with these mm-hmm. flowers. And the the frequency in these flowers, which in itself is an incredible thought to hold, that these yeah. that these flowers that he has created his remedies actually have specific frequencies that impact the emotional state of humans. Just you know, trying to wrap your head around that one is amazing, right? So, yeah. um, which has been proven over time. I mean, we know that that's true. It's you know, and we're we're talking about a frequency. We're talking about the mm-hmm. basis of homeopathic medicine, which is taking yes. the frequency, the energy of substances, and being able to basically do the healing work by shifting the frequency in one's own body related to whatever mm-hmm. the issue may be that seems to be manifesting a problem or blockages or an energy impasse. But, um, uh, you know, it's just so, it's so incredible when you really give this some thought of how he would sit and uh, he must have been an incredible man, incredible intuitive source, an opening to spiritual 
you know, a spiritual dimension where he was able to mm-hmm. get in touch with these frequencies. And then to appreciate flowers, not mm-hmm. just for their beauty, but flowers actually are here for our healing. And what he was able to do is to understand what their gifts were to humanity. Right. Yeah, and thank you for saying that because, um, I mean, obviously we all, you know, most every human being relates to flowers. You know, if it's not their beauty, it's their fragrance. Um, You know, they grow right up out of the dirt, right, without even being tended to. I mean, a lot of the flowers he used were, were wildflowers that didn't have any gardener tending to them. And you're right, it is all about the energy. And so, you know, when we really pull back and look at the energy of the flowers and the energy of the emotions and just sort of combine the two and see how they catalyze one another, um, it seems like a miraculous process. But then to me, it also just seems so very regular and normal, right? Yeah. 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 Well, you know, I think... I think when you, um, well, first of all, when you have a profound personal experience like you had and uh, could could observe within yourself the transformation that occurred, that certainly makes you a believer. And then as you understand the, um, the, the, this greater perception that we are gaining now of energy medicine and frequencies, and I, I personally love energy medicine and I have various frequency tools <laughs> um, mm-hmm. yeah. you, you really you, you know you, you see the, the how profound it is when we connect on the energy level and how we can uh, bring our own energies back into a more harmonious place which just changes everything it changes how we feel it changes how we see the world it changes what happens in our bodies yeah and, and it always starts on the more subtle levels first. You know, illness always starts on, more, on the more subtle levels first. And, um, and, and that's where the um, emotional state is so critical. And I definitely believe 100% that all illnesses, however they are manifesting, however they're named, has an emotional an unresolved emotional wound as their ultimate origin. And and we need to go in and address whatever that is. Sometimes it's conscious, most of the time it's unconscious, or we think we know what it is, but we don't really. <laughs> we have to go deeper mm-hmm. to, to, to create true healing, as you experienced. So these are wonderful, safe, uh, subtle, effective healing tools to work with that emotional realm, which is often so elusive to us. Yes, elusive, but as you just pointed out, like so very important. And so, yes, it's that's why, you know, the foundation of flower therapy is about looking within. And I like what you just said about sometimes we're unaware, right? And so I feel like that's where, that's where, um, you know, working with another person really comes in. And it doesn't even have to be a practitioner. Like one of the, um, the assignments I give students is to just sit with another person. It could be your partner, a friend, 
and just um, it's about listening. The, the exercise is about listening. So letting somebody just speak for three minutes without interrupting and just taking in what they're saying and just letting the person talk. So sometimes even just talking, you create more awareness about what it is you're feeling. And so that's the important part. So sometimes we do need to bounce it off of another human being to become more aware. Well, and and then be open to receive that uh, feedback, too. Often people <laughs> don't want to hear what's being shared, right? We have our defenses. Yeah. But I guess that's where, that's where the flowers can help us as well. It helps us to be more open. Um, so there, so let's go back to the flower essences. So there are 38 um, different flowers that Dr. Bach has communicated with and found their unique um, frequency for us. So, um, but let's explore it a bit more, Gina, because you put it into there are different categories that Dr. Bach created to work with yeah. these flowers. So let's explain that a little bit more because I'm, I'm curious to learn more. Yeah, so um, he developed seven categories, and um, when I when I use them when I write the categories in the book, I use his language. So the language is it's a little um, you know post Victorian era, but okay. So fear we can all relate to fear, of course. And then, like I said, I think it's fascinating that um, there's just not one kind of fear that there's different types of fears. So like I explained, um, being able to name a fear is one thing. But then there's other types of fear, like um, like when we, we can't name what we're afraid of, but we feel fearful on the inside and we don't know why. So that's a whole other remedy. That's the aspen flower, and that's very different from the mimulus flower. So, again, like looking within and trying to discern, or if you're working with somebody, helping them to discern what exactly is the fear you're experiencing. So if someone comes to me and they say, you know, I'm feeling fearful, I'm feeling anxious, then I really need to help them to dig deeper into, well, what is the sensation? Where do you feel it in your body? And how does it show up for you? And then the second category is uncertainty, which is also super relatable. Like, um, how does uncertainty show up for us? Is it perhaps um, the difficulty in making a decision, in making two choices? That would be like one way it shows up. But then another way it might show up is um not trusting our intuition, being uncertain of our intuition. That's the Serato flower. Um, the next category after uncertainty is, and this is a mouthful, insufficient interest in present circumstances. So that's kind of the way Bach put it, but I feel like if I needed to shorten that, I would just say, um, you know, not not being present, right? Like not being fully present. And um, that could manifest as dissociation, right, which would be the clematis flower. Um, not being interested could manifest in um, depression, right, like really being checked out and not being connected with life. So that's like wild rose, for instance, which is such a magnificent flower. Um, what else do you have? Um, the fourth category is loneliness. And this is funny because out of the of the all the categories, loneliness only has the least amount of flowers, only three flowers. So that's pretty funny, like three little lonely flowers. 
And again, he shows the different ways in which loneliness shows up. So, um, you know, it, it could show up as um, the impatience flower. So the impatience flower is used when we kind of move so quickly ahead of ourselves and ahead of other people that we'd rather be working alone because we have a lot of impatient energy, right? And so we end up alone <laughs> because we're so impatient. So that's one way impatience show, or uh, loneliness shows up. And then category five is oversensitive to influences and ideas. So again, that's a little wordy, but to me it just means those are like the flowers that are, um, you know, the sensitivity flowers, like for those of us who are really sensitive to outside energy, that would be walnut flower, right? And that's super relatable. And I feel like we hear about that a lot these days, you know, being really sensitive to outside energies. And then there's um, category six is despondency or despair. And I feel like that these are the real heavy duty like trauma flowers, like just as despondency or despair, right? And um, this is actually the largest of all the categories. I believe there's eight flowers in it. And um, like I'll just point to the to the main one for trauma is Star of Bethlehem. And that's actually one of the five flowers that's in Rescue Remedy. And um, Star of Bethlehem is for any unresolved trauma. So it could be something that happened yesterday. It could be something that happened 20 years ago. If we're still carrying the baggage of the trauma, which many of us are, Star of Bethlehem really helps to open up that pathway so that we can find deeper healing. And then last but not least, Category 7 is overcare for the welfare of others, which is, um, yeah, that's an interesting way to put it, but it's just... Um, you know, when you're so really connected to maybe what other people are doing, what other people think, um, when you're just too connected on that level and you just kind of need to, like, live and let live, I would say. There's many flowers in that category. So there, I think when people are looking at this or certainly hearing you talk about it, you can go, well, I can relate to that category, and I can I can do one from that category. Yep, you know, exactly. Kind of, you know, we, we can relate to many of these issues. How, how do you hone in mm-hmm. on the priority? Right. Well, we can relate to all of them, and that's something that I tell students as well. When you're first learning the system, you're going to think you need every single flower because at some time in your life you have. You need it you know, or you've related to each of these emotional challenges because it's all about being a human being. It's, it's, you know, it's all very real and alive for us. So um, when I'm working with somebody, you know, I, I, my ear is so tuned in now. Like I say, I listen in flowers like all the time. So like even when I'm watching a TV show and a character is displaying certain emotional patterns, I start thinking, oh, they could use this or they could use that just because that's kind of like, you know, where my lens is. So for me, um, when I work with somebody, you know, I, I listen deeply and I'll just jot down all the flower names. And then when we get to the end of the conversation, I kind of narrow it down to a few and I'll roll it out to them and I'll, I'll say, and that's part of being um, a Bach practitioner is you're meant 
to sort of teach the client even about what it is you're you're prescribing to them. So I'll roll it out to them and I'll say, does this feel relevant to you? And nine times out of ten, the flowers I pick do feel relevant. But sometimes a client will say, well, that's not exactly it. And we'll need to dig a little deeper. So it's a really beautiful process. Um, and the thing is about making a combination remedy. So what I'll do is I'll make a combination remedy for my clients, and they could contain anywhere from two to seven flowers. And that was that was box limit. He was saying no more than seven. Occasionally, I'll put eight flowers in a combination formula, but it is best to be able to narrow it down for sure because you're getting at, like, what is the root. So then I'll send the person away with their little bottle and they'll take it for about three or four weeks. And then three or four weeks later, either they'll come back to me or maybe they'll do some self-healing work. But different layers will open up. And sometimes you'll have to repeat the same flower a couple of times, you know, over the course of a couple of months if it doesn't feel fully resolved. But sometimes, like if we're using a fear flower, it might transform into something else, like, oh, no, I'm not feeling that sort of fear anymore, but now I'm feeling vulnerability, perhaps. And so we'll look toward a different flower. Um, you know, when I'm teaching students how to prescribe for themselves, um, you know, we'll, I give them, like, a little cheat sheet with, like, the indications, and I'll tell them to go through and circle all the indications that feel relevant. And at first, you might have a list of, like, 15 flowers. But then it's your job to kind of go back in and look within and dig deeper and see what really stands out as the most relevant at that time. So that's another important point is we're always looking at what we're feeling in the moment. It's not about like, well, last week I was really pissed off, you know, at my brother. It's not about that. If I don't feel angry right now, then that state already passed because emotions do flow through us. And it's not about what I would like to get. It's not about, well, I'd like to have more joy, so I'm going to take wild rose. Um, if I'm not feeling a sense of disconnection with life, then there's only so much wild rose is going to do for me. So I know this is a little complex, and I don't want to make it too confusing by throwing out, you know, flower names. But um, it really is about, like, what do I feel in this moment? So... To me, that's sort of the awareness practice that I ask everybody to, to use is just sort of close your eyes, look within, what am I feeling at this moment? We could use journaling to sort of, you know, dig deeper. Um, we could use dreams. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a writer, so I believe in the power of writing and journaling. So I do encourage all my clients and students to keep a journal. Um, dreams are wonderful. You write down what you dreamed, if you can remember your dreams, and write down the details. And oftentimes that'll point us to what it is I'm experiencing in this moment that I really need help with. You know, so it's such an interesting topic. I'm wondering if you, if something comes to mind, if someone, I should say, comes to mind that you, that, that you have worked with and has had, a you know, a profound healing or realization. Can you give us a, you know, an example? Yeah. Oh, wow. There are so many examples. But um, I guess one that stands out really profoundly for me is um, there was a woman I was working with who had skin cancer, and um, 
she um, went through, um, you know, the, all of the, the medical pro- procedures for it. But one of the things that she needed to do, and she was a really strong person. Like, she came to me, and she already had a lot of self-awareness. She was an amazing client, and she did really well. But one of the things that she recognized in herself at the very beginning that she was having trouble with with her um, skin cancer therapy was that she had to have somebody drive her to her doctor's appointment every week. And uh, she was very self-sufficient. She really, um, she really didn't want to do that. <laughs> you know, that was really, really hard for her. And so, um, you know, one of the things that she recognized was that she really had a hard time putting her needs first. She was a mother. She was a partner. Um, she was a really good employee. And she always did a really fine job of taking care of other people. But when it came to putting herself, her own needs first, she had a hard time. She would put that on the back burner. So now here she was. She had to be completely vulnerable. And, um, you know, she had to ask for help. And so um, one of the flowers, one of her flowers that we recognized as important to her was Centauri. And Centauri is the flower that helps with recognizing your own needs and um the centauri type, somebody who like has like a say a centauri um challenge that's chronic, are the people that are always giving to others. And it might be, you know, they might be really good at it, might might be a very beautiful way of being, but they just forget to take care of themselves. So then they end up feeling really depleted at the end of the day, like their needs aren't being met. So we used Centauri, that was one of her initial flowers, and I, I mixed some other flowers in at the time for other relevant conditions, but this was the main one. And I remember she came back to me three weeks later, and she was like, wow, I am, was not only able to put myself first, but, um, you know, she used it for, I think, two weeks, and it was before she had to go for her treatments, but she was able to reach out to the neighbor um, she was able to ask a few other things of other people that she never would have asked before. Like she had to ask somebody else to, to pick up her son from school and um, she had to ask somebody else to cover her shifts at work. And this is something that she just wouldn't normally do. And not only did she feel comfortable with it, but she said that she was beginning to feel like this was her true power, that if she could put her own needs first, then she was actually better at taking care of others. So what she began to develop was this idea of, wow, if I can take care of myself first and really make time for maybe my self-care practices, ask for what I need, then when it does come time that I have to care for others, I'm actually doing better. Like she was less stressed out about it. You know, she she felt just a better flow of energy all the way around. And um, she did miraculous. I worked with her through all of her skin cancer treatment. By the end of working together, I think we worked together over the course of three months, and we decided we were going to have a final session. And uh, I asked her, I was like, um, you know, how is your health? Because she had gone through all the treatment. And we kind of, like, we weren't focused on her health at all. We only worked on her emotional issues. And by the end of it, she was like, my health feels better than ever because I feel more emotionally stable. So it's like she came out of it in flying, with flying colors. And that's such a great example, Tina, of the power of healing the emotional, I mean, I call them the emotional wounds, that are causing this 
underlying stress in the system. And when the system is under stress, because we're unconsciously dealing with all these limitations and fears and, you know, you know, lack of worthiness, whatever it may be, it's actually mm-hmm. a subtle but continuous stress that's impairing the body's ability to heal. Because whenever yeah. we are under stress, the cells cannot repair and regenerate. They're like in shutdown mode. Right. And it could be subtle. But it's happening, right? So, and, mm-hmm. you know, that's why that, that, that example is so profound because by dissolving these fears that have basically run her life and mm-hmm. her choice of behaviors and perceptions, she was actually freeing the life force within her for her healing. Right, right. And, and yes, and, and that is so true. And I feel like illness is such a profound teacher, even though it's not fun. <laughs> you know, I can attest to that. Um, it's the greatest challenges really bring us our deepest healing. So this was the case with her. And I mean, like, we hear metaphysical um, teachers talk about like cancer all the time, like how cancer is a really great healer if we if we really try to listen to it. So again, listening to flowers, listening to our illness, um, this is what we're doing in order to heal. And so I had um, about the skin cancer myself about a year and a half ago. And um, I was just like, wow, you know, as soon as I got home from the doctor, I sat down and I thought, okay, what, what, do I, what is the cancer trying to tell me? What do I need in order to heal? And um, everything that came up was emotional, right? It was 100% emotional. It wasn't about, um, you know, well, I went out in the sun and I, I got too much sun and so I got skin cancer. Um, it was about, it wasn't about beating myself up over that. It was about what is it that I feel on the inside through this dialogue with the cancer that is going to lead me to deeper healing. And I grew so much through that process. It was incredible and I'm so grateful for it. How beautiful that you had the tools and the awareness for your own healing process. Yeah, thank you. So, so um, you know, let's talk about your book, Listening to Flowers. So, um, yeah, share with us more about the book and um, what it offers people. I'm sure people are really curious at this point about flower mm, and yeah. <laughs> And how to use them. So, yeah, so give us some, some um, uh, you know, appreciation of the book that you put together and what, what it can offer people, how people can use it, and will, you know, hopefully inspire people to start exploring using box flowers yeah. or they can follow up perhaps with, with you or some maybe the other practitioners in their area. Um, so tell us more. Yes. So um, it is a beautiful box set. So it has a guidebook and it also has um, 39 art cards. So the cards, it's an oracle deck. So the cards have um, these beautiful hand-drawn images on the front and then on the back are the affirmations that correspond to each flower. So when I was going through training at the Bach Institute, um, 
I wrote affirmations for each flower to kind of teach myself um, what each flower was for. That was just a way that my mind sort of grasped it, like looked toward the affirmative source. And um, I didn't really have the intention of sharing them with anybody. And um, I think what happened was that, um, you know, I had been teaching some of my friends how to use the system. And uh, so I began giving my friends the affirmations as well. I was like, oh, do you want to try the affirmations? And I got really great feedback from them. And then um, when I was seeing clients, I would write, um, after a client session, I would write up the client notes and I would email them to the clients. And um, what I would do is I would line out each flower that was being used and I would give them the affirmation for each flower. And uh, what I began to notice was that people were really healing at a quicker rate through being able to connect with the affirmation. And um, it was really quite amazing. I mean, I, I still have clients who call me up and they're like, you know, this was before the book got released. They were like, can I have the affirmation for such and such flower? Because it means so much to them. And I personally still use the affirmations for whatever flower is in my remedy that month. I, I say aloud the affirmation each day. And um, the way I think it works, and so the book has um, background on this. And it does, in the introduction, it gives um, a brief inter introduction as to how to use the therapy in this way. And what I recognize is that um, when we're using affirmations, two things happen. So one thing is we really embrace the affirmative source. So we're creating a positive mindset right away. But then the other thing is that when we're using the affirmation and we kind of like we might freeze up around certain words. Like I, I like to point to pine because pine is a really huge one for trauma abuse survivors. And the affirmation is, I am worthy and deserving of life's gifts. I release guilt and shame. I embrace my divine nature. And so for a lot of trauma survivors, like they love the idea of that affirmation, but when they first start working with reversing trauma and working with the pine remedy, they don't quite believe it yet. And so they kind of like, you know, choke on the words, I am worthy and deserving of life's gifts. And so, um, of course, we may need to do some deeper healing work around that. But just the fact that they can recognize that it's difficult to be worthy and deserving of life's gifts gives us sort of the pathway of where to go next. And so that's what I find that the affirmations do. And, um, you know, it is an oracle deck. Um, you can use the booklet by itself. But if you want it to, say, draw a card each day, just at random, you know, the remedy may or may not be relevant to what it is you're absolutely feeling at that time. But I do believe that the affirmation will lead you somewhere, whether it's to feeling a more positive resonance with what it is you're experiencing or whether it's like, well, no, that isn't exactly what I'm feeling. You know, I need to reflect on that more deeply than you can do so with the book. So it really is um, a complete system, and you can use it with or without remedies, and you can use it whether or not you've ever heard of the box flower essences before. Yeah, so that's, you know, so that's lovely. It's a way to tap into oneself, but it's even, I would imagine, more powerful if someone were to use that deck and get the information, draw the cards. I love that, or or use them if they want to just explore the areas that seem to be up for them. I guess many ways can 
work with those uh, flower cards, but then go and find the remedy that uh, corresponds to the need, right? I think, you know, that would be, you know, ultimately, I would imagine that would be one of the most effective ways to do this healing process. Well, exactly, and what a beautiful process that, that uh, like you're saying, you can connect with the idea first and then maybe go seek out the remedy. It doesn't have to be, you know, you're using the remedy and now you want to work with the affirmations, although that's fine too. And, uh, yeah, I do believe that, like, um, just using the guidebook and the deck that I'm sure that people would find flowers that they're more drawn to, you know, based on the sentiment, um, and then they might realize, wow, you know, that remedy right might really benefit me. And so it is a really, um, like a good, a good way to catalyze the energy and sort of like start with flower therapy. Well, I think, well, you know, what you've been sharing with us is really inspiring, Dina, and I'm sure it's, you know, aroused curiosity in a lot of people. So, um, one question I have, um, the box flower remedies are available either through different health food stores or available online? Or are they available in combinations as well as singles? So tell us more how people can yeah. learn more about getting a remedy or finding yeah, it. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for asking that. Well, um, so the the box center um, still sell, sells the remedies, and um, a lot of the remedies are still made from the original plants that Dr. Bach used. So that is quite incredible. Um, my that is a great source for the remedies, but my favorite American source is the Flower Essence Society. Um, that's Patricia Kaminsky and Richard Katz. They're in Northern California, and they do make their own brand of California remedies, but they also do um, produce the 38 box flower remedies, and they actually have them made by a man in England. So they're still made by British flowers. And um, like I, I usually have students and clients who want to buy a kit, buy it through the Flower Essence Society because they're very reasonably priced and they sell starter kits. Um, that's a great way to get them. And But you ask about combination formulas. So this is really interesting. So Dr. Bach made one combination formula. It's called Rescue Remedy. Um, many people are familiar with it. If they're not at all familiar with his other single remedies, they know what Rescue Remedy is. It's sold um, in pharmacies now, like regular pharmacies, health food stores, everywhere. And it's five flowers that are used to address acute trauma. So Dr. Bach made it because he, he felt like he wanted to have a combination formula that was ready-made on hand if somebody was in a car accident, if somebody got into a fight with their spouse, if somebody um, had a final exam that they had to go take and they were really, really scared. So it really does unblock acute trauma. Um, and it works miraculously. I keep it in my purse. I keep it by my bed. Um, I used it before this call. <laughs> it's just, it's, it really is like um, a nerve stabilizer, I would say. So that really is a great entree for people to work with flower therapy is to get a bottle of Rescue Remedy and use it when you feel sort of um, really out of sorts because you'll see how it really brings you back to center. And it can be used um, four drops. Um, so when we're using a combination formula, we use four drops. And it can be used every few minutes until you feel a sense of equilibrium. 
It's an amazing ally. As far as other combination formulas, I know that um, all the other flower essence producers make combination formulas. And not that I'm saying there's anything wrong with a combination formula, but you're going to get the best results when you make a combination formula based on what it is you're specifically feeling. For instance, there's a lot of remedies out there now. And, um, like, for instance, it could be like um, – you know, a fear, a remedy for fear, fear less. And maybe they uh, use a bunch of fear flowers in them, and they may or may not be relevant to what it is someone is specifically feeling because maybe I'm feeling fearful because I have a lack of confidence, which would be a total other flower, larch. That would be larch if I was, like, feeling stage fright and, you know, a lack of confidence in my skills and my abilities. It's a sense of fear, but it's not a true fear. So, you know, that's that's a little um, bit shaded there. But what I'm saying is that I feel like pre-made combination formulas may not get to the root of your challenge. They may or may not work. So not that there's anything wrong with picking them up and trying them out, but I am a firm believer in treating each person um, completely holistically. So everybody's combination is going to be slightly different. So um, I would rather see somebody work with a practitioner at least once or twice and kind of get a sense of what their specific flowers are and then maybe buying a pre-made formula and looking into what those flowers mean. Just because um, I think buying a pre-made combination remedy it just might not get to the root of things and then you might get discouraged so that's what i find okay that's beautiful thank you for that uh, clarification and uh, I, I know we're coming to the end of the show but i want people to know where to find you go to dina's website and i'm going to spell dina's name it's her name dina d-i-n-a and then salisi i hope i'm saying that right dina s-a-a L I S I. So that's Dina Felici, S A A L I S I dot com. And um, if you go to her website, she has courses, you know, you can enroll and become a practitioner, work with her, right, Dina? People can call you, work with you. Um, yes. There are lots of resources on Dina's site and definitely learn about Bossflower Remedies and get her deck. It's, um, I can absolutely endorse what Dina is doing and the power of these uh, frequencies from the flowers. Nature is here to heal us, and this is certainly a profound way to begin that healing process. So, Dina, we've come to the end of the show. Thank you so much for a wonderful conversation, for all the great work and writings and programs you put together and helping people on this healing journey that we are all on. Thanks so much and uh, all the best. And I got to go. <laughs> Thanks, Dr. So Cheryl. You too. <laughs> Thanks joining everyone joining me. And as I always like to say, always honor the wisdom of your feminine self. Until next week. Bye for now. 